It's summer in New York City in the year 2002. After nine months of mourning and trying to get over the shock of 9-11, the country and especially New York City has come together. People are going out with friends for dinner and drinks. They are making summer plans. And in general, people are much more considerate and friendly to each other than they have been in many years. And late one particular Saturday night in June in the East Village of New York, two buddies are out looking to have a couple of beers at some bars in the neighborhood. While walking down 2nd Avenue, two young blonde Swedish women approach the buddies and ask if they know where any bars in the area are playing the World Cup soccer matches. Of course, like any red-blooded New York American guys, they say, sure we do. There's a bar up on 3rd Avenue right up the block. And actually, we were on our way there to watch the World Cup. We will show you. As the four of them are walking up towards 3rd Avenue, they are approached by a lone male. The man stands in front of them, blocking their path on the sidewalk. He then pulls a gun out and points it at them. One of the young men pulls out his wallet, thinking it is a robbery, and says, here, take my wallet. The man then says, I don't want your fucking wallet. I have a problem with you. He then pulls the trigger and shoots one of the young men in the stomach. The sound is loud and deafening on the quiet side street. After a few seconds of shock wears off, the women start screaming and all four start running for their lives in different directions. At a small popular wine bar in the East Village that's packed with people enjoying the beautiful summer night in June, there's one group of people that work together in a different restaurant. They are celebrating one of the friend's birthdays. There's also another group of NYU students enjoying a night out. A couple of the patrons see the door open to the wine bar and a young man standing in the doorway. He stands there looking at everyone for a few seconds and then says, help, I've been shot. One of the young women from one group and one of the young women from the other group actually think the same thing at the same time. Hey, that's not funny. The young man then falls to the floor holding his stomach and some of the patrons again think and maybe even say out loud, that's not funny at all, don't joke around like that. Suddenly the door opens and there's a man standing in the doorway with a gun in his hand. The man looks around the bar at everybody and then looks down at the young man lying on the floor and shoots him point blank in the stomach. Just like the scene on 11th Street around the corner a few seconds earlier, the bar becomes eerily silent for a few moments while everybody in the bar is registering what they have just seen. And again, just like the scene on 11th Street, people start screaming and panicking, running towards the back of the bar. Unfortunately, there is no rear exit to this wine bar. The people are trapped. While some people do escape to the basement and eventually climb out through a window they have broken, dozens of the patrons are trapped in the back of the bar. The man realizes there's a basement door and blocks it so that no one else can get down there. The man is pointing his gun at everybody, telling them to get down. Some of the patrons are crying and some are saying, please don't hurt us. At this point, the man grabs a young woman. He reaches into his messenger bag that he is carrying and pulls out plastic zip ties. He orders the young woman to use the zip ties to bind all the patrons' hands. 
After everybody is bound with the zip ties, the man pulls out a plastic bottle and starts spraying a substance all over the people in the bar. The victims can smell the liquid. It smells like gasoline, and it's burning anyone who has skin exposed. The man pulls out a large barbecue-style lighter and starts threatening to burn all the people in the bar. He's yelling and screaming all kinds of threats, and is also screaming a lot of hate-filled rhetoric regarding race and ethnicity. The gunman is yelling at the people in the bar, telling them that they're all gonna die tonight, and they're only gonna leave in body bags. As all this is unfolding, the owner of a sushi restaurant next door hears the commotion. He walks over to the front of the bar, opens the door to see what is happening, and at that moment, the man with the gun sees him and shoots at him, hitting him in the hand. Luckily, the sushi restaurant owner was able to back out and run. He then calls 911. Within minutes, the 9th Precinct arrives at the scene. Police officers Jamie H., Richie G., Kenny M., and Sergeant Elias M. arrive in front of the wine bar. The man with the gun, now considered a perpetrator by the police, sees the police arrive. He grabs the young woman who he had using the zip ties and puts his arm around her neck, using her as a shield. He then shoots out of the restaurant, hitting one of the police cars parked in front at least three times, but luckily missing the officers. Officer Kenny M. moves forward to enter the bar, but Sergeant Elias M. orders him back and sets up a perimeter after seeing that the perpetrator has many hostages and is using one as a shield. Inside the bar, every time the perpetrator takes a shot at the police outside, he puts the barrel of his gun back to the side of the head of the young woman he is using as a shield. After a short while, a large police presence has been built up outside, including emergency service officers. More supervisors also arrive from the police department. The emergency service officers are trying to speak to the gunmen, but the distance and the closed door are making it extremely difficult. Back inside the bar, all the victims are still scared and many are crying. The perpetrator is still yelling all kinds of threats, statements of racial hate, and telling the victims they're all gonna die, while also yelling at the police outside. The young woman who he has in a headlock starts trying to talk to him to calm him down. She tells him that she has a cell phone in her pocket, and instead of trying to yell through the door, she can yell the cell phone number out to the police, and he can talk to them on the phone. The perpetrator agrees, and the young woman yells out to the police, I have a cell phone, call my number, and she repeats the number several times. While this is all going on regarding the cell phone, two young women are sitting next to each other in the back of the bar, and one of the women, Anne Margaret, says to her friend Annie, I'm not going to go out like this. I'm not gonna let this guy burn us to death or shoot us. Annie says, Anne Margaret, why are you saying this? What are you gonna do? Anne Margaret responds, I'm gonna jump him. To which Annie replies, no, Anne Margaret, please don't do that. At that point, Anne Margaret sees the man with the gun having trouble holding his weapon, keeping the young woman in a chokehold as a shield, and talking on the cell phone all at the same time. They both see the perpetrator put the gun in his pocket so that he can utilize the cell phone. Anne Margaret says to Annie, that's it, he put the gun in his pocket, I'm gonna jump him. Anne Margaret is sitting inside of a sink. She braces herself and uses the sink as leverage to push herself off harder than she could by just jumping. 
and tackles the perpetrator. And then while Anne-Margaret, the gunman, and the young woman who is being held as a shield fall to the floor, Annie sees Anne-Margaret hitting the gunman over and over again. Annie then jumps up and also jumps on top of the gunman. And along with Anne-Margaret, they are hitting, kicking, doing whatever they have to do to disable him. Unfortunately, the man drops the cell phone, sticks his hand in his pocket, and shoots off his gun, striking Annie in the leg. With the sound of that gunshot, the emergency service unit rushes into the bar, and the lead officer puts his pistol to the side of the head of the perpetrator and shoots one round. The perpetrator then drops his gun and goes limp. As all the victims are being led from the bar with their hands raised above their heads, as is procedure just in case the gunman has an accomplice mixed in with the victims, they are also walked through decontamination showers that are set up a short distance away from the bar. The smell that is emanating from the bar of what could have been gasoline or some other chemical was so strong that the police knew there was some type of substance that needed to be addressed. A paramedic then enters the bar and examines the gunman lying on the ground. He turns to the emergency service unit officers and says, hey, this guy's alive, he's not dead. Thank you for listening to Heroines Part 1. Be sure to check out Heroines Part 2, where we continue with the investigation and the trials of the gunman. And we will also hear from one of the victims 